Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome again to Life Church Buffalo. It's so good to see all of your smiling, shining faces here in a very busy Christmas season. If you're new with us, my name is Pete. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're excited to have you with us as we continue this series called Travel Light. And before I talk about that, I also want to welcome those of you who are tuning in online. We hope this message is a blessing to you, and we look forward to having you here in person. Uh, I want to give a couple of quick updates before I dive into my message. The first is a legacy update. Uh, If you have been around for a couple months, you know that we are two months into a 15-month building campaign to expand our church. We're putting a new 700-seat auditorium off the back of our property because God is building us into a spiritual house. We, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, and because that house is growing, our physical house needs to grow as well. And last month, a few weeks ago, I announced that last month, the town of West Seneca tabled our motion because they needed to confirm a few things that we had adequately addressed some water issues, and uh, we addressed those things, and we had another town hall meeting this past Thursday. I'm very excited to announce to my church family that the town of West Seneca approved our plan. We got the green light. We are building a new auditorium, so I'm super excited to announce that to all of you. Please be praying for us. There's some logistical challenges we still have to address before we break ground, uh, but I'm excited for what's to come. The other thing I wanted to say real quick is on top of what Monica said a few moments ago about inviting people and reserving tickets. Listen, I was uh, praying earlier this week just about our Christmas experiences and all that God is going to do in the lives of people that will be in attendance. And I was reminded of the parable that Jesus told. I think it's in Luke 14 when he says that there's a master who throws a wedding feast and some of the invited guests don't come. And so he has some indignation and some urgency as he sends the servants out to go out into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in that my house would be full. And I'm hoping and I'm praying for my church family that we would pick up some of the urgency that our heavenly father has and know that he wants his house full this Christmas season to hear the good news that brings great joy for all people, that unto us a Savior was born. And so I want to encourage you guys to take more of these invites with you this week and invite everyone you know, your friends, your family members, your coworkers, your neighbors, your classmates, reserve tickets for everyone that you plan on inviting, even if you don't know whether or not they'll come so that we can plan and be prepared for how many seats and all of that stuff. But please be praying with us about what God is going to do in the lives of people that will be in attendance and take these with you. And you never know what God can do in the life of someone through a simple invite. The power of an invite can literally change someone's life and someone's eternal destiny. And I'm believing God for some incredible things next weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. Well, we are in week three of a series called Travel Light where we're talking about letting go of some of the excess baggage that we have a tendency to accumulate as we travel through life. And it's a perfect series for this time of the year because it's practical for everyone, regardless of whether you're a Christmasaholic or you're an Ebenezer Scrooge. Like, no matter where you find yourself, you know, this has some handles for us to put into practice in our lives. Because I know some of you get giddy at this time of the year. Like, Christmas is your favorite time of the year. You know, you're like Buddy the elf. You know, you're just like all pent up with all this energy and it's just awesome. And, and you know, that scene in, in Elf, when he brings the Etch-A-Sketch pad to his dad, says, dad, I got our whole day planned out. First, we're going to make snow angels and then we're going to go ice skating and then we're going to get a whole roll of Toll House cookie dough and then we'll snuggle. 
And that's how some of you feel at the Christmas time of year. You're like, you got Christmas music playing from October 1st. And I know all of you have all of your Christmas shopping done and already wrapped and under the tree, right? No, maybe not. You got 10 days left to go. Others of you though are like, bah, humbug. And you can't wait for the season to be over. And what I've discovered is that regardless of where you find yourself on that spectrum, the holidays have a tendency to magnify whatever emotional state we're in. Like when things are good, Christmas makes everything better. Like the lights just twinkle brighter and Christmas is magical. But when there's family stress and there's financial pressure and there's broken relationships, when there's loneliness, the holidays has a way of magnifying that pain. And so to recap, as you heard Monica say, in week one, we talked about letting go of the baggage of our stuff, the the, the material possessions we accumulate. And we talked about one-handed living, that it's better one hand with peace and tranquility than two hands with toil and a chasing after the wind. And so we talked about letting go of some stuff. And then last week, we talked about letting go of distractions, the things that turn our attention away from what really matters in life. We talked about diminishing the distractions and being intentional to invest more time in what's important. And so I hope some of you kind of, you know, reorganized your priorities and were intentional about scheduling blocks of time on the important things in life, your relationship with God and your relationships with people. Today, though, by the power of the Holy Spirit, with his help, I'm hoping and praying that I'm going to encourage you to let go of some baggage, something that has the potential to really destroy your relationships, not only with people, but with God as well. The writer in Hebrews addresses this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, when he says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. And how many of you know that some people require more effort to live at peace with than others? (laughs) Amen, right? Especially at this time of the year. But then he says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. I'm convinced that one of the enemy's greatest tools and tactics to destroy relationships and poison hearts is what scripture calls the root of bitterness. It's one of the heaviest bags we carry, bitterness on the suitcase that we travel through life. It robs us of joy, the root of bitterness. We know that the enemy's mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal our ability to trust people and ruin our relationships. He wants to kill intimacy in our relationships with others and with God. And he wants to destroy love because God is love. And he does this by planting seeds in our hearts that if left unchecked, will turn into a root of bitterness. Before a root becomes a root, when you think about a tree or a plant, There's not an established root system from the get-go. It starts out as a small seed that eventually grows. And these seeds of offense can come from anywhere. They can start out small. It could be when you send a text message to a friend and you see that they they read it. You get the red receipt. And then you see that bubble pop up with with the dots and you know that they're typing a response. But then all of a sudden the bubble goes away and you're waiting and you're like, what the heck? And three hours go by and they still haven't responded to my text. A seed of offense. Or someone you follow on social media and you're always commenting on their pictures and their posts and you're liking it and you realize, wait, they haven't really commented on any of my posts lately. And then you go on their profile and you realize 
they unfollowed me. A seed of offense. Or maybe you see pictures of a friend hanging out with other friends that you weren't invited to that hangout. And why wasn't I invited to that? A seed of offense. Sometimes these seeds can come from something that's a little bit larger and more serious though. Like a friend or someone that you love lies to you, mistreats you, talks bad about you. And as I'm preparing for this message this week, I'm realizing that I think there was a reason I was supposed to preach this message. Initially, I had scheduled myself off for this weekend to give myself more time to prepare for our Christmas experiences next week, but the person who was supposed to preach this week got sick, and I had to take it back from them as of Wednesday, and so I was on a tight time frame to cram and and get this message prepared and realizing, God, is there seeds of offense in me that you're wanting to work through? Because I always try to internalize what I preach to you, and three times in the last three weeks, I've had people who are close to me say something to me or about me that I found out about that were incredibly hurtful, seeds of offense. Or maybe you have a parent or a relative who is constantly criticizing everything you do, the way you parent, the way you spend your money. Why do you go to that church? Seed of offense. Or maybe it's someone who you thought was a close friend or a trusted leader, takes advantage of you or misleads you, betrays you, abandons you. Maybe it's something even worse than that. Someone who was supposed to take care of you when you were younger, abused you. Or maybe you were raped on that date. Seed of offense gets planted in your heart. A divorce, spouse that had promised to love you for better or for worse till death do you part, decides they don't want to wait till death and they walk out. And sometimes it's not something that someone does to you as much as it is something that God didn't do for you that creates a seed of offense. Like when your mom got sick and you prayed for God to heal her, but she still died which for those of you that have heard my story know that that was the case with my dad. Like 46 years old, diagnosed with a rare form of leukemia and I prayed and believed that God spoke to me and said the sickness will not end in death but it will be for the glory of God and two days later he died. And I'm like, wait a second, God, that's that's not how it's supposed to be. Or when my first wife left and I prayed for months and months and months that God would work on her heart and have her come back to me and she never came back. Seeds of offense that aren't directed at someone but at God because he didn't come through for you like you wanted him to. Seeds of offense, if not dealt with, can grow up into roots of bitterness that cause trouble and defile many. I wanna give you a key thought to keep in mind as we move through our discussion today. And that thought is this. Main idea is that we cannot control what happens to us, but we can control how we respond. You can't control what happens to you, but we can control how we respond to what happens to us. I heard a message several months ago from one of my favorite preachers, Robert Madu, who said that offense is inevitable, but being offended is a choice. That things are going to happen, offenses are going to come, we can't control that, but living offended, staying offended is a choice. 
We can't control what people say about us, what they think about us, what they do to us. We can't control what happens to us, but we can control how we respond to those things and whether or not we're going to live offended and allow those seeds of offense to turn into roots of bitterness. And it seems especially true at Christmas time that the enemy works overtime to remind us of those things that created that seed and that root or new opportunities for those seeds to get planted in our hearts. I want to give you two thoughts about the problem of bitterness and then give you two ways that we can deal with and kill bitterness in our hearts. The first problem with bitterness is that it's a dangerous root. Bitterness is a dangerous root. He said, see to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble. Bitterness causes a whole lot of trouble, especially in our relationships. It's dangerous. And I think it's interesting that he chose to use the word root to describe bitterness. When you think about a plant or a tree, what do we know about its roots? Where do they exist? Below the ground, under the surface. It's unseen. And similarly, bitterness is an underground job. It's hard to see. Silently, slowly, underneath the surface of our soul, these seeds of offense, if we don't process them and deal with them properly, can grow and turn into roots of bitterness that cause trouble in our relationships with God and with people. And roots underground also support everything that grows above the ground. And so if a root system is healthy, that tree or that plant will be healthy. But if the roots are bad, then everything that grows above it is going to be compromised. That's what makes the root of bitterness so dangerous. In fact, many of you, as I've said, might have a hurt or a disappointment, a betrayal. You don't even realize that you haven't processed it and that offense is turning into a root of bitterness that is taking hold in your heart. I mentioned a few moments ago that three times in the last three weeks, I've had seeds of offense that have tried to plant themselves in my heart. One person a week ago on Saturday, you know, tried to insinuate that if my dad were still alive, he'd be disappointed in me and, and would be ashamed that at some of the things that I wear and I've gotten too far removed from my blue collar roots and I think I'm too good for stuff now. And he was kind of joking when he said it, but he didn't realize that it was very hurtful. A seed of offense. Yesterday, I got a message from someone on social media who said they had lost respect for me. It hurt. Several weeks ago, I found out someone very close to me, someone I love who says they love me, I had heard, had been talking about me behind my back to other people. So God is dealing with me in this area of these seeds of offense, and I know I can't let them turn into a root of bitterness that will cause trouble. Because when you think about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, what does he say about love? Love keeps no record of wrongs. But what does bitterness do? Bitterness keeps a detailed record of wrongs, doesn't it? We've got that thing recorded in our mental memory. This is when he hurt me. This is when she lied to me. Keeps a detailed record of wrongs. And the longer you allow a root of bitterness to remain, to live and grow under the surface, the deeper those roots get, the more widespread they go, and the harder it is to kill it. Bitterness has a dangerous root, which is why he says we have to see to it 
that no bitter root grows up. Even though it's unseen, we have to intentionally examine the conditions of our heart and not let those seeds of offense, which are inevitable, we can't control what happens to us, but we can't allow them to grow into a root of bitterness that will cause trouble. So first, it's a dangerous root. The second thing that I want to say about it is that it produces a poisonous fruit. It's not just a root. It's a root that produces a poisonous fruit. He says, see to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You need to understand that bitterness doesn't only affect you. It defiles many. The root of a tree affects the health of that tree, which in turn affects the fruit that it produces. And the root of bitterness produces a poisonous fruit that messes everyone and everything it touches. The writer of Hebrews knew and is warning the readers that one person who's nursing an offense and allowing that thing to live in their heart and grow into a root of bitterness, that other people will partake of the fruit of that and the collateral damage of that is widespread. And of course, we have probably experienced this in our lives. You know this to be true, that one bitter person can mess up a family dynamic, right? Like one person can really divide and destroy a family if they're bitter. One bitter person can make the workplace completely miserable to go to. Coming into work, constantly complaining about everything that everyone has done wrong to them and just bitterness just corrupts everyone. One bitter person can really destroy a life group or even a church I've seen. Bitterness defiles many. It's a poisonous fruit. And some of you might be thinking right now, man, I, there's someone that really needs to hear this message. I'm gonna try to send them a link to the podcast or the video. And man, I really hope they're here and they're really listening because they need to hear this message. And maybe they do. But before you point the finger, can I just remind you that bitterness is one of the hardest sins to see in the mirror, right? It grows under the surface. It's unseen. But also when we're bitter, we feel justified in our anger, don't we? Like, we hold on to things, and we're only mad because of what they did to me. They did this, and so I'm, I'm justified to feel this way. And if we're not careful, we can come into church on Sunday and celebrate and sing about the love of God while holding hatred in our heart towards someone else, which the Apostle John said is impossible. He says, you cannot... Say you love God and hate your brother. The love of God is not in you. We can come in here and ask for and freely receive the grace of God and then walk out these doors and withhold that same grace from someone else. So I just wanna ask you guys and challenge you guys to be honest with yourself and say, is there any seed of offense? Is there any root of bitterness that's trying to take hold in my heart? Maybe pray the same prayer that David prayed when he said, God, search me and know me. See if there be any wicked way in me. God, reveal to me if there's any root of bitterness that you need to expose and reveal so that you can heal my heart. Maybe it's that person at work that's constantly trying to put you down and angle for that raise or that promotion. Maybe it's a boss who doesn't ever acknowledge you or show appreciation for the hard work that you put in. Maybe it's a friend who takes you for granted. You're always there for them when they need you, but 
When you need them, they're nowhere to be found. Maybe it's a parent who, as I said before, is just constantly criticizing everything you do. Nothing you do will ever be good enough for them. Maybe the disappointment, the anger, the bitterness you feel is is directed at yourself. Like you're disappointed in the decisions you've made or you thought you'd be further along in life by now. Or why do I keep falling into the same sin, the same struggle? And you're so disgusted with yourself and this, this hatred turns into bitterness that just causes trouble in every area of your life. Or as I said, maybe, maybe it's directed at God and not at a person because he didn't come through for you. You know, if you saw my post on Facebook on Friday, then you know that this past Friday was supposed to be the due date of the miracle baby that God blessed us with earlier this year that we wound up miscarrying at seven weeks. After 13 years of infertility, experiencing the joy and the shock of an unexpected pregnancy, only a few weeks later to have it end in miscarriage and the disappointment that that created in us and having to process through God, why would you allow us to get pregnant if it was only gonna end that way? Just ask yourself, be honest. Is there anything in me that's causing me to be bitter? Because we gotta deal with it. So how do we kill the root of bitterness? I wanna look at a verse in a letter that Paul wrote to a church in a city called Ephesus. The letter is Ephesians in the New Testament, chapter four, verse 31. Paul writes this. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And then he tells us how in the next verse. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. If you have a root of bitterness growing up inside of you, Paul says the first way we deal with that is by being kind and compassionate. He contrasts bitterness with kindness and compassion. Kindness is just being nice to someone. And I know some of us would have a hard time trying to be nice to someone who's been a jerk to us or has been, you know, mistreated us. But maybe, you know, a simple way to try and overcome that or to kill the bitterness that you're feeling towards this person is just to buy them a coffee or do something that will demonstrate kindness to them. Get them a gift or, or show them somehow tangibly that you're trying to be nice, to be kind. But you don't understand what they did to me. No, I don't. But I also know that God demonstrated his love towards us and that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. It was incredibly kind of God to pursue relationship with me before I even acknowledged him, before I'd done anything to deserve that love and forgiveness. He expressed his kindness towards me. And as followers of Jesus, we should follow in his footsteps to be kind to those who've mistreated us. We kill bitterness with kindness. Is it easy? No. But Romans 5.5 5 says that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit and will give you the strength and the ability to show kindness to people who've mistreated you, who've offended you. 
Paul taught a similar principle in Romans chapter 12, verse 21, when he said, do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't try to get even with the people who've hurt you. Instead, you overcome evil. You kill bitterness by being good, by being kind to them. But it's not just kindness. It's kindness and compassion. Paul pairs kindness and compassion together. And I think, in my opinion, it's difficult to be kind to people who've mistreated you without compassion. See, because compassion is defined as a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate that suffering. See, compassion carries with it an understanding that the person who hurts you or people who hurt others often do so because they're hurting themselves. There's something broken in them that causes them to react and hurt other people. And maybe they didn't intentionally mean to hurt me. And if I can keep in mind that there's brokenness in them, that they need God's grace just as much as I do, then I'm more able to show kindness to people who've mistreated me. That's compassion. And if you can't find it in your heart to be kind to someone who's offended you, then maybe the best way to show compassion to them is simply to pray for them to pray for them. That's what Jesus told us to do in Luke 6 when he says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Last weekend, after those words were said to me that planted a seed of offense in me, Saturday night we were going to bed and Kelly could tell that I was wrestling with this and I was a heaviness on me and she prayed for me and I woke up the next morning and still carrying this thing and I had to intentionally go to my knees and I prayed for this person. I prayed, God, would you meet that person? Would you do a work in their heart? Would you heal them? I bless that person because I had to get my heart right and prepare to deliver God's word to you. And then even yesterday, as I got another message of someone else who had lost respect for me, this morning I had to pray and bless that person that they would experience God's presence and his peace this Christmas season. We pray for those who mistreat us. Bitterness is gonna have a hard time taking root in your heart if you will intentionally pray for those who've mistreated you. And praying for someone else may or may not change them, but I promise you it will change your heart. Bitterness is going to have a hard time taking root if you will pray for those who've offended you. So we kill kindness, first of all, or we kill bitterness, first of all, with kindness and compassion. But then he says, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. The second way we kill bitterness is with forgiveness. With forgiveness. And I just want to pause at this point and acknowledge that this is where it might get a little hard and tense for some of you. Because some of you might be thinking, you have no idea what this person did to me. I, I cannot forgive them. It's unforgivable. If you only knew what they did. How do we forgive the unforgivable? Paul tells us the same way that God forgave us. We can't forget that our sin caused our heavenly father to send his one and only son to the earth to be crucified, to be beaten and killed, to pay for our sin. Some would think that's unforgivable, and yet I'll never have to forgive someone more than God has forgiven me. It was our sin that put him there. We forgive others just as in Christ God forgave me. How did Jesus forgive me? How did he forgive you? Freely, completely, unconditionally, He willingly hung on a cross 
to pay for our sin. And if the love that enabled Jesus to look down from the cross and cry out to his heavenly father as he looked at his killers and say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. There's compassion in his prayer. He says, Father, they don't know who I am. They don't know what I'm doing and that I'm doing it for them. Would you forgive them? Because they don't know what they're doing. And that same love has been poured out into our hearts. If you're a follower of Jesus in whom the spirit of God dwells, there is no such thing as an unforgivable offense. We kill bitterness with forgiveness. And I am never more like Jesus than when I'm forgiving someone who doesn't deserve it. Because that's how he loved us. While we were still sinners, he died for us. And if we're going to love others like he's loved us, forgive others like he's forgiven us, before we get an apology, before they deserve it, I forgive. And sometimes we got to understand all the time that forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a choice. We have to choose to release people and not hold the offense against them not throw it in their face every chance we get to remind them of what they did. And even if we don't throw it in their face, a lot of times we just harbor it and protect it and hold it on in our hearts. But when we choose moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month, sometimes for years, take baby steps as we try to follow Jesus. Here's what's gonna happen. When we do that, often enough, intentionally enough, every day, every week, every month. I don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring, but today, right now, in this moment, God, I release that person. They don't owe me anything. Eventually, here's what's gonna happen. You do that consistently enough, and that thing that was so hurtful, one day will eventually not produce a painful emotional response in you. It will just be a part of your history. It will just be a fact. But it takes sometimes months and sometimes years. But when you choose to follow Jesus and offer forgiveness to someone, even if they don't deserve it, God will heal your heart. The best example I can give you of this in my own life And many of you have heard this before, but for the benefit of those of you who are newer to our church, I've shared part of my story in the past where I carried a 20-year addiction to pornography into my marriage with Kelly that she discovered about six months before we actually got married. And her response is what you would expect any woman to respond with when discovering such... She saw it on my computer and she... What? Like she had no idea, completely blindsided, angry, hurt, upset. Like, do you really want to get married? And I repented and I promised her that I would never look at it again. And I didn't for a couple weeks or months, but eventually I went back into the same pattern. And she would ask me how I was doing, if I was struggling with it anymore. And every time she asked me, I'd say, no, 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 I'd lie. I kept it secret. I kept it hidden. For a year and a half after we got married, every time she asked me, I told her no. Until finally, the conviction of the Holy Spirit was so strong in me. 
I knew that there was a separation between her and I. The impact of this secret sin was affecting our intimacy emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And I knew I had to come clean. I had to confess to her. And I did. And her response is what you would expect it to be. She was devastated. She wept and sobbed. She was disgusted by me. But over time, she prayed, sought counsel, talked to other women whose husbands had struggled with this. And she forgave me. And she says, I want to help you fight this. And her forgiveness in me helped me to believe that there was a way that I'd be able to overcome this. And we developed a plan to put some guardrails and boundaries in place and some accountability. And I started to get victory over it, not overnight, but my slip-ups with it got fewer and farther between until several months later, the final straw was one time I was away on a business trip. I used to travel for work and I succumbed to the temptation to walk into a strip club. And on the plane ride home, I knew that once again, I had failed and I would need to come clean and confess to my wife. And I'll never forget that day like it was yesterday, 11 years ago, sitting on the end of our bed, confessing this to my wife, knowing that I was going to hurt her again. And I remember her listening and then not saying anything and closing her eyes as I could tell she was praying and asking God for the strength to respond the right way, to not lash out in anger, even though she would have been justified in doing so. And she said, I wanna fight you. I'm in your corner. We're called together and I wanna fight with you for our marriage. I wanna fight the enemy who's trying to divide and destroy us. I wanna fight for your purity. And she said, I forgive you. And guys, I'm telling you, in the last 11 years, despite the fact that she had every right to throw my sin in my face and remind me of how, what I had done and how it had hurt her, not one time in 11 years has that woman ever thrown my sin in my face. Not one time. And I believe that our marriage is what it is today because she freely offered the grace that had been given to her. She refused to hold on to bitterness she extended grace and forgiveness to me even though I didn't deserve it I don't know what's been done to you we can't control the things that happen to us but we can control how we respond was it easy for her? no were there times she wanted to throw it in my face? I'm sure that there were the same love that forgave her of her sin she couldn't withhold from me do not let the seeds of offense grow into a root of bitterness that causes trouble and defiles many and this morning my heart is breaking for some of you because I know that you believe in God you've trusted in Jesus to forgive you of your sin but you're still not free you're imprisoned by that memory you're imprisoned by that offense that hurt, that betrayal. There's a bitter root that's affecting every area of your life. And there's a natural response in us to want to throw it in their face or to get revenge, to get even. And God says, do not repay 
evil for evil. It's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. If we can learn how to live with an eternal perspective, trusting that in the end, God is gonna make all the wrong things right, then we can let go of our sense and our need to, to get revenge, to get even. Trust that he's gonna make it right. Our response as followers of Jesus is to ask for his Holy Spirit to give us the strength and the power to forgive, to be kind and compassionate, even when people don't deserve it, and to forgive one another just as God forgave us. When it comes to these seeds of offense, guys, we can either relive it, we can rehearse it again and again in our minds, feeding that root, allowing it to get bigger and stronger and deeper. We can try to get revenge or we can release it. You can't control what happens to you but you can control how you respond. You'll never have to forgive someone more than God has forgiven you. Someone once said that to forgive someone is to set a prisoner free only to realize that that prisoner was me. And so today, I pray that God by his Holy Spirit would set some of you free from the prison of offense and bitterness. Let me pray for you today. God, I know in this place there are people who've been carrying around some baggage of bitterness that has been weighing them down for a long time. It's a heavy weight. There are very real, painful, emotional wounds from experiences, God, that some of us haven't even been able to speak of out loud because it's too painful. fact, if you're honest this morning and would say, you know what, I've got some offense in me. I've got some bitterness that I need God's help in overcoming and forgiving those people. Would you just raise your hand in this place? Is there anybody here that would be honest enough to say, yeah, I've got offense. I've got bitterness all, all across this place. I feel led this morning to pray a prayer over you that the Apostle Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3. And I just want you to let the words of these verses wash over your heart. When he said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, that God would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The antidote to the root of bitterness is a revelation of the love of God that we would be rooted and established in a love that is so powerful, compelled the creator of the universe to send his one and only son to die for us that we might be reconciled to a relationship with him. God, would you open up our eyes? Would you allow us to experience to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that it would go beyond just our mental understanding, but Lord, that it would be an experiential reality that gives us the strength and the power. Your word says that we would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us 
dunamis power, explosive power, the same power that enabled Jesus to walk out of a tomb lives inside of us. It's his love that lives inside of us that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And Lord, we're powerless in our own strength to be kind and compassionate to people who've hurt us. We've tried and we've failed to forgive those who've mistreated us. But this morning, Lord, as you open our eyes and allow us to have a revelation of your love as we're rooted and established in your love, God, would your Holy Spirit give us the power to release those people right now, those who've hurt us. Some of us have been held in this this bondage, this prison for way too long. Today is the day, Lord, that you have established, that you have ordained from the beginning of time that some would be set free from that offense. You're, You're breaking chains this morning, God. Setting us free from that root of bitterness. You've peeled away all the stuff that we've covered up. You've exposed that root so that you can lay the ax to the root once and for all as we release that person into your hands. God, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts this morning and give us the strength this week to do something that demonstrates kindness, to put feet to our faith that we would show kindness to those who've mistreated us that we would pray for them, Lord, and that you would help us moment by moment, day by day, to choose to forgive, to not rely on our feelings, but to follow you and walk in obedience and to forgive others just as you have forgiven us because you did not hold our sins against us. As far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our sins from us. Lord, no matter the offense, no matter the hurt, no matter the pain, I pray that you would heal us and strengthen us and empower us to forgive today, to let go of this baggage of bitterness that's caused trouble for way too long. No longer will it defile the people in our lives. As we talk about offense and forgiveness, some of you here this morning would say, you know what, I've never ask God to forgive me of my offenses to him. Scripture says we're all sinners. Going to church is not about being a perfect person. It's about coming to to church because we know that there's only one person who was ever perfect who came to this earth. We celebrate Christmas because he was born to live that he might die so that our sins could be taken away and we could be restored to a relationship with him. And if you're here this morning and you know that today is the day that you stop making excuses for why you've held God at an arm's length and why you've never asked him to forgive you of your sin, then that can all change today with a simple confession of faith. John said that if we believe to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. And if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll be adopted into God's family as his son or his daughter, forgiven of all of your sin and be given the power to forgive others. And so this morning, if that's you with all heads bowed and eyes closed and you're ready to ask God to forgive you of your sin and start a relationship with him, would you raise your hands in this place? I see those hands up here on the front. I'm proud of you. Is there anybody else in the back? I see that hand as well. God bless you, ma'am. 
Is there anybody else here today that wants to say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me of my sin. I want to start a relationship with you. I see that hand as well in the middle. God bless you. God is moving our hearts. He's changing lives. Anybody else? Church, will you join those who are taking a step and asking Jesus to forgive them of their offenses? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sin. Jesus, thank you for loving me that much and for showing kindness to me by paying for my sin. I believe that you died and that you rose again. And I ask you now to forgive me of my sin. I turn away from my old life and I choose from this day to follow you. My life is not my own. I give it to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Cleanse me. Make me new. I give you my life. Give me the strength and the power to live for you and follow you and to forgive others just as you have forgiven me. Thank you, Jesus, for welcoming me into your family. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Church, can we make some noise and put our hands together?